All right. So we have a very special guest here, and I, I, I certainly have dressed up for them. I'm really excited uh, right now to welcome Jeff Passan to PitchCon right now. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time and being here. I'm so embarrassed. I'm never the underdressed one. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we switched uniforms you know, and somebody needed to do it. You know, someone needed to be here. I uh, dressed up. I got you today. All right. So I hey, here's, look here's great. the thing. Nobody ever needs to do it. People choose <laughs> to be tryhards. And I have chosen to do so for more or less every day of my 20-something year baseball writing career. Uh, so to see it filtering down to the next generation, uh, I love it. And and let me just say, Nick, thank you for putting this entire event on. Uh, organizing something like this is uh, the truest labor of love. And doing so for the cause that you're doing it uh makes it even better so from the entire community uh thank you we're all appreciative of your hard work and uh dedication to this really cool game that we all love oh man stop that pass and we should be saying that to you uh this whole thing is a product of everyone involved and uh, i'm just really excited that i get to do it and get to host it and have so many you know people like you that are just spending their time to do this uh and we're really happy that we get to do it yeah to raise money for als uh we're hoping to hit that ten thousand dollar goal where i think we're over a third of the way there and we're just a couple hours into 55 hours of this so right, thanks well, to everybody me, who is me, here put me down i'm not there yet but put me down for another thousand so oh my god we're, we're now 40 percent of the way that's there. that's incredible uh thank you so much man um but yeah let's let's talk about you this is uh the life of jeff passan um, and I've got a moment with Jeff just to figure out how the heck did you do this? How did you become this incredible beacon for us with baseball and the way that, that you handle it is, is incredible. It's one of the things that I tell you know, my friends and family about that. Hey, I'm involved in baseball. I'm so lucky that the person at the top that is that we trust the most to spread the word of it is Jeff Passan. Um, we don't get to choose that person and we're really happy that it's you. And I remember, of course, back in the Yahoo days and becoming the ESPN one, and just kind of overnight we blinked. And it's like, yeah, we don't trust things until Passon tweets it. So I wanted Weird. to digest that with you <laughs> and kind of figure out how this works. Um, and uh, I wanted to really start at, you know, I normally do these, uh, do these shows where I go back to you being like six years old. Where were you? Uh, and uh, your first love of the game, the first moment that you might actually like this thing. And do you have that memory of just like, oh man, this baseball oh, yeah. Spartan, this ain't so bad. Yeah, I was I was on the kitchen floor actually, and <laughs> it was it was a Sunday morning. It was every Sunday morning, and I would take the Cleveland Plain Dealer sports section, and I would flip back a few pages and end up on the Agate page. Hmm. Uh, now, Agate, for those who don't know, is like the tiny little copy. That's in newspapers. You know, a lot of times it's like a transaction page, stuff like that. My dad worked at the Plain Dealer and later on in his career, like the Agate page would be, uh, you know, his domain. But back then, Sundays in particular were fascinating to me because they had statistics for every baseball player and it took up an entire page. They had it sorted by batting average. 
and they had it sorted by ERA. And I would just pour through all of that information. And as a six-year-old, it it fascinated me. I didn't know how to process it because I was six and you don't know anything <laughs> when you're six. But still, I was I was transfixed by this idea that all of these players could be boiled down to a few numbers. Right. And and the idea that who they were as a player could be represented in numerical form and and so much better in baseball and so much more representative, I think, in baseball than any other sport. I, I mean, we know like the numbers are the lifeblood of the game. Absolutely. Like they tell us the story of where Major League Baseball has gone. And the proliferation of numbers over the last, you know, we can go back to 20 years. In in reality, it's more like 10 years to, to really, truly understand what's going on. I can't fathom how cool it is to be growing up now and to have access to all of these things that make our knowledge of the game so much richer. Oh my gosh. I mean, really just, you have StackHouse data now that is available. And for, for on our side, you know, there's always an assumption of organizations just have so much more data and we're just like, don't try to make up stuff. They've got all the things and whatever. And the fact that we are digging at the same rate almost that they are in some ways uh, is so interesting that we can do something out here that actually does influence in there is, whoa, this is so cool because there's just so much. You know much what though? That's 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 not new, Nick. That's not hmm. new because sure. if you look oh, at James, the, yeah. if you look at the the generation that came into the front into front offices right after um, Moneyball came out. You know, right. like Moneyball inspired kids who wound up carving careers in baseball. I mean, they were they were coming from baseball prospectus and yeah. they come from it's fan true. graphs. And now they're coming from, you know, tread and driveline. And the pursuit of knowledge is the common thread in all of these things. We're trying to understand them better. And if you illustrate that you have the kind of brain that can think creatively, and I hate outside the box, that's a stupid phrase, <laughs> but but can can think creatively, intelligently, and more than thinking outside the box, ask the right questions. Yes. That's what we're trying to do here. You want to ask the right questions. If you see a data set and it's it's speaking to you and you're trying to understand it better, asking the right questions, um, not just the what, but the why and the how, that's where you find greater knowledge. And every front office in the world wants people who are curious and driven and, and bring that verve to it, that I think can get lost when you're dealing with data sets. I mean, we we look at what the the classic interpretation of somebody who uh, you know who interprets data is, um, and that's just a, a nerd who's sitting there and has no social skills and is just as wonky as it gets. But the like the the hope diamond of a baseball front office is somebody who can code and who can look through data and who can ask the right questions and then in turn take his or her findings uh, to the rest of the people in the front office and say, I think I figured out something that's going to make our baseball team better. And maybe it's better by a tenth of a percent. Uh, you know, the, the moonshot is, is that you have a one percent idea. 
but all in all, just finding people who care, like I'm not going to say that that is a necessity because there are people who are great at everything who don't care. Uh, <laughs> you may find some in Los Angeles, uh, possibly I, right you now. took the words right out of my mouth. There, yes. <laughs> um, but if you, if you can find that and you're in a front office, you feel like, you know, you, you struck oil. Right. Absolutely. Um, and really going back to what you were saying about how we are defining these, these players, they all have these numbers assigned to it. It's so special that we have so many different ways to define a player. Um, yeah. And we just keep adding to that over and over again. And uh, I actually have to explain why I like baseball to so many people, because honestly, outside of this world that we live in for ourselves and our career, I'm friends with everyone who just does not care about the sport. And I, <laughs> uh, I often get a moment to say like, hey, this is actually what's really cool about it and trying to find a way that isn't just like, cool, his CSW was great or his, uh, you know, his IV being his four seamer and all that kind of stuff. And what I found the simplest sure way is I understand exactly what you're saying yeah, to of course. start throwing out alphabet soup like that. And, and here's the thing. I feel like a total nerd because I know exactly what you're saying. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, but what I do is I normally take my phone. I go like this, like, look, this is the strike zone. The whole thing is that they have to throw this into this imaginary box. They go in. And it's a strike. They don't swing. That's a strike. If it goes out of it, it's a ball. You get four of those. You go to first. And it's a really simple thing. Every single pitcher is trying to throw it into this box without the guy hitting it really far. But every single pitcher does it differently. And that is so cool. That, oh my, and like everyone has their strengths. Everything, everyone has their weaknesses. You know what they are. And then we get into it. And then instantly it just clicks. They start to get that. They understand like, yeah, there are different authors. There are different actors there are different whatever and there's different parts of each one that they like and when you put it that way instead of just like waiting for an event to happen like oh did it go out yeah. no okay cool um that's when it starts you know the gears start going uh it's, and it's, 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 it's why thing. it's why we not just love sports but particularly love baseball right yeah um there there are just so many different ways to skin a cat there, there are no two identical deliveries, like not even close. There are guys who, who may aesthetically look similar or remind you of someone, but every person delivers the ball differently. And I, I, like I see this with my son, who is 16 years old and a pitcher and has gone through just by himself more different deliveries than I can count anymore. Like I look back at videos right, I right. took of him when he was – 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and it, even like a month ago um mm. you know he he's dry throwing in our living room and i was like you you shorten your arm swing a little bit and he's like yeah i just want to be more efficient i'm like <laughs> what am i raising like, what am I oh i can't wait to see here? it here uh there'll <laughs> be a, you know maybe it becomes a hitter and actually we get a different kind of pass and bomb uh, that'd be Ooh, nicely done. He has worked <laughs> on his swing this off season and it looks a whole lot better. And he has, oh, man. he is like, I will say this, the, uh, you know, the insider game tends to be populated by little guys. Not always. Mm -hmm. John Heyman's a, a tall guy, uh, but myself, Rosenthal, um, you know, sure. Rosie's not a, not a tall guy. Um, I somehow wound up with a six foot one child. So he might not be <laughs> nice. mine, but he will not remind you of me if you see him. And he, he constantly, like if he's feeling himself that day, mm -hmm. he walks up to me, 
bows up a little bit, looks down, and says, five nine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's great. Thanks. Disrespect. It's real uh, in the passing family for generations. <laughs> uh, so I, I do want to go back just a little bit to like, okay, how do you actually get here? And uh, from that uh, you know, newspaper on the floor, uh, I assume, of course, you went to journalism school and then you got your first big break inside of the industry. What was that? Um, I mean, I was I was writing for local newspapers when I was like 14 or 15. My, hmm. my, I mean, my dad worked at the plane dealer, so it is in the blood. And he didn't like push me toward it by any means, but he saw that I enjoyed it and helped cultivate it. And that was, you know, the the most important part of things like when you have that encouragement from from your parents you know right. you believe you can do anything uh i went to syracuse uh worked at the daily orange for four years there went to fresno california and worked at the fresno b for two years uh and then uh mlb.com hired dick cagle the hall of fame uh, writer and the Kansas City Star had a job opening for a national baseball writer, and the guy they wanted to hire uh, wanted six weeks of vacation, and they were only willing to offer four, so they went with their number two choice, and that was me, and that was my introduction to baseball writing back Amazing. in the 2004 season with the Kansas City Royals, who had great aspirations and ended up uh, being, I believe, the worst team in baseball that year. They were really bad. Oh my uh, gosh. Yes. So, I mean, that must have been a really good training and then for you, right? You didn't, you could feel like you could ease into it in that way. You know, there, there really was no easing in. I mean, mm -hmm. getting like, if, if you get hired to cover a beat, there's sort of the expectation that it's going to take you a year or two to, to get to know the players and the people inside yeah. the clubhouse and the front office and all the people that you need to get to know. Um, with the national job, I just had to like, I had to dive in because if there was a big story, I was expected to cover it. Right. And uh, because of that, I had to familiarize myself with people and practices very quickly. And there were a lot of folks along the way who really looked out for me. Um, I mean, there, listen, there were some who saw me. I, I still kind of look like a child now. You can imagine what I looked like when I was 23. Um, the reason, <laughs> by, no, I mean, the reason why I wear suits in the clubhouse is because that first week on the job, when I was in the clubhouse in Kansas city, a player threw his underwear at me because he thought I was a clubby. Oh, wow. So I was like, you know what? I need to probably dress up so I don't get skivvies thrown at me anymore. Yeah. Like that's something you generally want to avoid. Um, sure. but yeah, whether whether it was Bob Dutton, who was the beat writer at the Star at the time, or, you know, I remember Joe Christensen, uh, who I believe at the time was working, uh, covering Baltimore Orioles. Like, pregame, there's just an expectation that when someone's talking with somebody else one-on-one, -on -one, you do not go up and participate and, and sort of ingratiate yourself into the conversation. Right. And I did that, and Joe could have turned around and said to me, hey, you little get away. This is my time. And he right. would have been well within his right to do so. But he was very thoughtful in the way he said, hey, this is how things work. Um, totally understand you're new at this, but just make sure to respect that. And 
I've tried to be very respectful to both fellow writers as well as the people who I cover because it's the the least that any of them deserve. Right. Um, so there's two things you got to mention really quickly, Jeff. One, how dare you curse? This is a family friendly uh, conference. And I'm just messing. I'm, it's okay. Uh, but uh, that's what they want me to say in chat. And the second, the second thing is they give you permission. <laughs> they give you permission to pick up your phone, and they're all like thinking that that's some breaking news that you're just turning down for. Well, this, no, that uh, that's rude of me not to have it on mute. So I apologize. <laughs> no, and it's quite a no. That's that's actually kind of exciting. It's like oh my gosh, it's the you know we're almost like see, you know seeing the sausage get made in that way. Um, it's incredibly Trust fun. Me, it, um, it, it's it's going to ring more. uh so i mean on that topic this is something that i think all of us on the outside don't really quite grasp and i know you really can't talk too much about it but um what is that process like of like cool sources say this is going on how is it that you have this information you're the one that's funneling it out as opposed to anyone else i think it's a few things it all starts with relationships right um and, and that gets built up over time, but people need to trust you and they need to understand what your purpose and imperative is. And the way, you know, when I, whether it's meeting new people and trying to explain to them why, you know, giving information to me uh, as opposed to anyone else is a good thing um, or, or just reiterating it with sources like, my pitch has always been very simple. Um, I want to be right. Like being right is not the most important thing in this job. It's the only thing. Yeah. And it's inevitable that I'm going to screw up. I have screwed up in the past. I'm going to do so again. I'm going to get something wrong. I'm going to get bad information. But what I try to do is ensure that my process is sound enough that when I do get bad information, I never put myself in a position where I feel like I'm compelled to print it anyway, or pressured by whether it's other reporters uh, or, or anyone else to go out there with something. And that, that has, I think that has changed as time has gone on for me. When I was younger, it's not that I would be reckless or careless with the information, but the desire to get a scoop um, once I started pursuing news and once that became like a big part of the job, um, it, it was it was important because of, of what it could portend for me. Like, hey, if I start yeah. doing this news thing, you know, um, uh, more, more people will read the stories that I'm writing and I will probably make more money. And that that helps my family out. And so there are all kinds of incentives there that if you're approaching things uh, for ignoble reasons could push you to, you know, people chasing followers or stuff like that could push you to doing something wrong. And I think those misplaced incentives are a big reason for the the amount of misinformation or just bad information that's out there. I I think... Um, mm-hmm. I think the democratization of the internet is is arguably the the greatest thing that's happened in modern history, and it's also the worst thing that's happened in modern history because um, I'm not going to call myself an expert because that's obnoxious. What I am, what I will say, is that I feel like I'm a student, and I'm a student mm-hmm. who spent a long time learning 
this industry and understanding the different machinations that are going on. And, and because of that, I may not be as compelled to run forward with something that may not be true or doesn't make sense or that I haven't learned from a past mistake. Um, hey, like this reminds me of that time where I totally screwed up. Let's pump the brakes a little bit, even though you're excited. Like yesterday, uh, you know, I got a text from someone that said a player was being traded. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be a good one. And so I started reaching out and, you know, talked with three different people who hadn't heard and then talked with someone who did definitively hear that it was not the case. This guy was not being traded. And so as much as you see me publicly or at least on social media putting these things out there, I can tell you right now for every one that I break, there are like three that not not that I don't break. There are three that I heard might be might have some some legs to it. Nope, nope, bad information. Right. And you just it, it's why when I see some of the kids, and I'm sounding super old here. Why I see when when I see some of the kids who I I adore the fact that they want to do this. Yeah. Um, I wonder about their reasons for doing it. Yep. Is there is there reason to inform and educate the large group of people whose lives are disproportionately affected by what they read on social media about their baseball team? Or is it to try and build themselves up? And and yep. there's that very fine line between brand building and getting wrong. Yeah. Uh, About that is actually really interesting. It's really on the community more. Obviously, like we would want to be a situation where we have that journalistic integrity and everybody has to follow that. And that's just a given. And of course, it's not in everything. There's going to be a uh, um, people who just do it for nefarious reasons or they really Mm -hmm. abuse that. And it's on the community to really say, well, we're not going to listen to you. That's, you know what, in in that, yeah, that, I I think that's such a a salient point here. We've become much worse educated consumers of news. Yes. And and I think, I think the consequence of, um, of newspapers dying or, uh, you know, gutting their staffs, uh, I think the consequence of large figures in, in the public domain, uh, looking at reporters and journalists and demeaning them and making something like fake news into a real thing. I think all of those have made us dumber consumers right. of news. And th- there's also the inherent bias of wanting to believe something that positively affects us, right? So if, if, you, are, if you are the a Yankees fan and you know, someone puts out there, Blake Snell is, is going to be siding with the Yankees. You want to believe that to be true because sure. you know, the Yankees rotation could use some help. So uh, there there's that as well. And it, the conundrum for me is I want to suggest like valuing expertise or time, um, time spent doing this or um, you know, I want to say that, but at the same time, that looks kind of selfish and gatekeeping of me to do so, right? Because if you're not listening to people who are new voices, 
then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you get old stale people in there who just aren't very good at it anymore. And uh, that's the lot of it. And and you don't want that either. And so sure. I, I, I'm not going to suggest that people keep actual scorecards here, but when it comes to news, trust the people who have delivered it to you before, but keep your eye out also for those who may be new and, and you know, at, at the beginning of their careers or, uh, you know, burgeoning in this industry who show levels of accuracy and restraint and clarity. Like those are, those are three of the pillars that I think go so far in being a newsbreaker and doing it in a way that has integrity. And, and yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's where I have tried to focus more and more on that in recent years in the way that I go about my reporting. And I think mm. it resonates with the people with whom I speak and those who are kind enough to al- allow me to know what's going on. You know, I think, uh, I think a lot of the chat will agree uh, with me where I literally have notifications for just one person. And it's picture list. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's it's Jeff Passon. <laughs> uh, but uh, actually, to that point, um, I think one of the elements that is really difficult, considering it's such a digital community now, is earlier in your career, it was a lot more about the personal relationships that you had with others inside your field. So that when uh, you were trying to get your first feet underneath you, um, you had other people that you knew physically who then... You know, you can have rapport with, you can have respect with that you uh, were lucky that they trusted in you because they could see you and they can actually understand you a lot more. And it's not that you don't want to give that back um, to the newcomers and everything that it's it's hard on your end. Oh, too. I no, I, 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 do, are these I do, though. That's know their intent. Yeah, no, I do know. And and mm. there there are some younger reporters who I have a ton of respect for because I think they go about things the right way. And I think they care. And it's not because they, they solicit advice from me that suddenly I feel like they're, you know, they're more worthy or anything. I don't mean it in that way. Yeah. Right. It's because they ask the right questions. Yeah, exactly. And because they're interested in the right things. Now this is, this is something and, and I'll, sort of just take you behind the the curtains here a little bit. This is something that I've only started doing within the last few years. Um, But I think that it, I I think it reflects where I am in my life and what my priorities are now. And it's very easy for me to say the number one priority in my life is not getting a scoop because Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I, you know, I have enough where I'm just very comfortable with myself. And when I lose, I know I'm going to lose. Like it's bound to happen. Ken Rosenthal is really, really good. And you should have notifications on for him too. Yeah, I think I can do. And Joel Sherman (laughs) is, is really, really good. And you should have notifications on for him too. And Mark Feinstein is really, really like, and Robert Murray, you know, one of the, one of the younger guys who I was talking about, Robert's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I used to, when I got information, like when I got a trade that was going on, I used to just like, if it's right, put it out there. And I understand, I don't think it is journalistic malpractice to go and do that. I don't, I think that is perfectly fair thing to do. If you have facts, if you have information that is correct on something that's going on, if you put it out into the world, then like, cool, totally cool. Um, But 
what I recognized is when I saw somebody talk about learning news of their trade on Twitter, I was like, that's a really bad way to learn about a central yeah. event in your life. Yeah. Like that's, it's not, it's not right. It's not something that I want to be involved in. And so when I hear about a trade now, I will reach out to people and say, has this person heard? Has oh, this great. player heard? Um, and a lot of times, like I will lose trade scoops because I, mm. you know, because I waited and wow. I go to sleep every night so comfortable with myself because the process is right and it's thoughtful and it's human. And that is all we are in the end. We are people inside of this crazy sport that has all sorts of incredible things going on. But at the end of the day, I don't want someone finding out a life-changing event from somebody sending my tweet to them. Sure. Like that's oh, a, absolutely. That, that, um, that's a, I, I just, uh, I just I, don't I think that's make, fantastic, I, I don't really. feel good about that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, the thing, the thing I disagree with the most is that you said that you sleep. Um, no, you don't. How do you possibly do this? How can you, I mean, you, every night you must be feeling as if like there's something that you miss, but then actually what you're saying is saying, look, if I don't get that scoop, I don't get that scoop. Now it's okay. Listen, there are stories like, um, you know, Evan Drellick is a wonderful friend of mine and uh, Ken Rosenthal, I consider him a, a mentor and a paragon and everything I do now is because I tried to copy him. He's really, hmm. really, really good. He will be in the Hall of Fame one day. He will go down in the annals, best baseball writers of all time. He changed the way that this sport and sports in general are covered like he, he, him, Adrian Morjanowski, Adam Schefter, they were pioneers in that. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I love what I do to the point where I just do it for 20 hours a day. And that's, you know, like that's it. I have, I have learned that my body can function relatively well on a minimal amount of sleep. I know it's probably not great for my long-term prognosis. I'm trying to work on that. And it's a bell curve. Trying to, trying to <laughs> I, you know, the, the whole like, hey, let's catch up with one day. Nah, it, it kind of doesn't work like that. <laughs> but is, you know, is, as long as my brain continues to, to function okay and I'm not making stupid or careless or reckless mistakes, then uh, I'm going to, try and keep going it's it i i feel like my career will be uh much more of the the kofax andrew jones uh let's go really hard for like a decade than right. you know going out there for for 20 years and it, it's it's going to be hot and fast and uh, uh then it will go away well it's been incredible so far and we're really excited for what's ahead and um Really, I just have two more questions because, of course, we're getting um, just over the top of the hour here. Uh, and I really can't appreciate you enough for, for coming on to this. It's just such an exciting thing to, uh, you know, this is a major baseball event. And, of course, we have to have the major uh, baseball scoop artist himself uh, with the Passon bomb, Jeff Passon. Uh, two questions. One, what is your endgame? Because um, as you're saying, you can't do this forever. 
I have no idea. Is it is it removing yourself from baseball? Is it doing something else in the baseball world? Is it just still reporting? What is it for you? I don't think I can ever remove myself from baseball. I've done this for 20 years now. It's yeah. part of the fabric of who I am. I've, you know, I've sat there and thought, I wonder if like, if I covered the NFL at some point, what would that be like? <laughs> don't do that. Please don't I, ever leave us. <laughs> no, it would, it would I, I think, I think it would be fascinating and an incredible challenge. I just don't know if I'm up for an incredible challenge like that. Like I've been going hard for like 20 plus years at this point. And, um, you know, I love, I loved writing the arm. I loved mm -hmm. it loved the process. I loved the product. I loved everything about it. So I'm waiting for a book idea to, to punch me in the face and say, you have to do this. Right. Um, I can't right now. I just don't have the time, but um, at some point I will. I want to teach too. I think hmm. teaching is super cool and I think yeah. I'd be good at it. So oh, absolutely. Uh, I like that. Um, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed, um, I don't know if you ever saw Alive, which was the documentary we did on Drew Robinson. I really oh. enjoyed doing that. And, hmm. you know, working the director and producer uh, Martin Kotobashian is brilliant. And so working with people who understand a medium that I only came to late in life and understand it better than I do and can teach me and, uh, you know, maybe documentaries, maybe I'll do a podcast like and maybe there's something that I have no idea exists now or has not been created yet that I might be good at. So uh, I I don't like the the job right now. It takes up so much time and bandwidth already that I almost feel like I have to focus on what I'm doing today and in order to do it well, because if I start looking at something else, then I might fall behind where I am right now because right. there are a lot of really hungry, really good reporters who do this job and uh, they will gladly take every scoop I, uh, I, I'm willing to deign. Yeah. I. Uh and, uh, and the last question that I ask everyone here um, when I do these is we all have mantras that we live by kind of we internally like a kid this is a thing that i need to do you mentioned one before like do it right essentially and one of mine is uh, do it right once which is just essentially <laughs> encapsulate encapsulate how it works correctly once and then you don't forget that right mm -hmm. and and if you do it once correctly then you won't have to do it again when it you know uh, breaks quicker or whatever and i uh, i'm kind of curious i mean outside of that one is there something that you really feel like you hold on to as you go through this I look at what I try and pass on to my, my children who are mm. 16 and 11. And, uh, you know, they, they take this, um, you know, their genetics are really a wonderful thing because <laughs> they, they are such different kids. Um, but it, it, it's, it's right, but also true. Um, and it's that effort matters most. Um, yes. you know, you can, you can be incredibly talented at something. And if you don't put in the effort, you're not going to be as good as you could or should be. Um, you can have zero natural talent, but if you put in the effort, um, you're going to get better. And as long as you measure yourself against yourself, against the baseline of where you started against the improvements that you've made personally, 
you can look at yourself at the end of the day and there will never be a time where effort doesn't reap something positive as long as what you're measuring uh, is the right thing. And so I, I just, you know, I, I tell my kids, I don't care if you get something wrong or if you screw up, but if it's because of a lack of effort, then that is the thing that you can control and thus the failure is on you. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's like a, my, my coach in college, uh, I would say practice isn't practice. Good practice is good practice, right? Uh, yeah. And that effort, um, as long as it's focused in the right way, not just kind of going through the motions, you've really put that effort in the physical element, but the mental focus that it needs to actually succeed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Jeff Passon, thank you so much for just making this work. I know it was a very busy morning for you. And I'm glad that it was, and my apologies for the belatedness. Uh, but I'm I'm glad we were able to uh, sneak in a good 40 minutes here, and for the panelists uh, at two o'clock. Uh, my apologies for being long-winded. Uh, well, Derek Loggenhagen and Kimball Crossley, two fantastic people. So uh, I'm sure you'll see them, and you can apologize in person uh, Eric shortly. Is fantastic. Eric is fantastic, actually. <laughs> Eric, uh, Eric, Eric, truly, no. Eric truly is fantastic. I, uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, Jeff, really, thank you so much for being a part of PitchCon. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to whatever those uh, phone calls were. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Nick. And uh, everyone who's watching now and will be watching later, thank you uh, for your support here. Uh, all of us truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Take care. See you, Nick.